Bitcoiners, we all, in a general sense, we all hold the same values. We like privacy, we like individual rights, individual freedom, and we fight against tyranny and so on. So that's the way I explain it. We have a cypherpunk ethos, and in our art, we try to represent or to talk about these values. This is the Bitcoin Muse, and I'm Clay Enos. This week on the world's premier Bitcoin art podcast, I speak with Gus Griaska, whose multi-year efforts as a Bitcoin artist have led him down many paths. To some, his rebellious, fun-loving spirit may be triggering, but since he found his way to Bitcoin through Pepe's, he seems quite comfortable being a potential thorn in your side and to keep your mind pried more open than it might otherwise be. I think Gus makes some reasonable arguments that a more stubborn person, even someone like me, can be persuaded or at least entertain the idea that we haven't figured it all out. And part of me, even though I like a slim and slender chain and recognize the true value of scarce block space, there is a window here where artists are at the forefront and one man's bloat is another man's expression. The more I do this podcast, the more I realize the answers don't lie in the present. But what we have here is a record for historians, maybe decades or centuries from now, to evaluate the nascent and profoundly important role Bitcoin is playing in the history of art. That said, remember to rate, share, and subscribe to the Bitcoin Muse, and at the very least, tell someone creative in your life about what I'm doing here. Alas, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gus, as his time and service to Bitcoin combined with his aesthetic judgment is worth contemplating, and perhaps make some room for his novel ideas. Here you go. How do you describe your own work? Because it, in my observation, it really runs the gamut from that bizarro, peppy NFT thing that I don't totally understand, maybe you can help me understand that, to classic, unique, physical works of art. I'm just curious how you describe yourself. Well, I think my, my journey, it's been exploratory in the sense that I have definitely made uh, through my life some, I will say, traditional collections in the sense that a few artworks are all in the same line uh, with the same elements, with the same technique. But in my Bitcoin art journey, I've been more eclectic I've been more exploring ideas and, and a way to, to try to, to transmit those ideas. My entry to the Bitcoin art was through the Pepe's. That's why that's a very important part of my, of my work. Uh, I still regard the Pepe movement as, as something very unique and uh, something that I, I like very, a lot. And not just me, but I think is something very very relevant, both from what it represents as a meme that gets viralized, but it's also like a Bitcoin collectible. And also because it's disruptive and it's, uh, for some people, it's, it triggers a lot of emotions. So I think the Pepe ecosystem in the Bitcoin community has a lot of elements of what makes art something relevant, which is being disruptive, emotional, and also had this nuance 
this element of the memes that are that have the potential to be to become viral. So when I made my first Pepe's in 2016, I realized that I really wanted to pursue this road of of being a creative in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So that's that's why it's so relevant for me. Help me understand this because the Pepe to me was right. I know it's derivative of a comic character, but it took on a life of its own the way any kind of mimetic symbols do. What was it that attracted you? Because I think artists generally, we want to be original. We don't want to be derivative necessarily, or we can be inspired by something, but we generally don't want to copy it. But in this case, the Pepe is very much, I, I don't know, I can't figure out if it's whimsical, ironic. Where, where does it fit for you? I think it's uh, it's got a lot of elements. Yes, it started as a comic book from this cartoonist called Matt Fury. And I think it was first published in 2005. And soon after, it became a meme in Reddit and Fortune and these platforms. And in my opinion, once it became a meme, it's speech, right? It's just like a public part of culture, which a lot of people dispute this because even Matt Fury went through lawsuits and stuff like that to try to recover his creation. But I mean, that's that's a whole different discussion. So at that point, the meme became something, in my opinion, very powerful. Memes in general, I believe they are a great gift to humanity. It's like the minimal amount of information that, that goes from one mind to the next and can get viralized. So in a way, it's like the perfect mechanics or the perfect vehicle to transmit information. And then in 2016, it merged with a token Bitcoin ecosystem. And that was also very powerful because most people know the, the NFTs and they became mainstream from the, the Ethereum ecosystem because it's, it's like a bigger market, at least art market. And there are more people in, in that community. But the idea of a crypto collectible, it started on Bitcoin and it never stopped. It's been actually it's been growing nonstop since the early days of tokens in 2013 and 14. Right. Uh, there are a lot of historic reviews nowadays that are getting more and more attention. So all those elements, I believe, that are very powerful. Like I, I think the, the Pepe meme is powerful in, in, in a lot of directions because it's triggering. A, a lot of people just feel disgust, for instance. And at the same time, a lot of artists, including myself, have depicted the same character in a more cute way or a more appealing or more a nicer way, not just grotesque. So it's a perfect template for people to explore emotions. And that's the whole point. Have fun and represent whatever is going through your creative process at that point. And people have, are making sculptures, oils, whatever. He really is something that to me exists in that world of memetics and memes. I interviewed World of Rusty and he gave me a nice little primer essentially on how memes might function. So I get that. But then when I run it by a fine artist like yourself, they seem incongruous. They seem almost like a strange deviation from your otherwise 
normal artistic process? The thing is that I don't, different from traditional artists, I don't think I have like a normal process. It's always exploratory. I've always been an artist. Like I, I consider myself like a natural artist. So like since since I'm a, I actually just recently, I was cleaning up my apartment and I had some boxes that w- were left by my grandma. And I found some old drawings of mine when I was like five and six and seven. And it was fun to see my evolution, the evolution of my drawings. So I've always been in the creative realm and society have always like identified my personality as an artist. But then I, I studied engineering. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I'm a chemical engineer. And I have worked in the industry a lot of years. And just recently, since I became like a Bitcoin and crypto artist, I went full time into being more creative and more uh, trying to understand better the art markets which is something really complex and it's been very challenging, but it's fun. It's the kind of thing that I, I'm definitely looking forward to understand and, and conquer better, right? So uh, even though I have like traditional paintings and sculptures, I never consider myself like having a, a clear line of development in my artistic endeavor. It's always been exploratory, which is good and bad, right? It has both. What do you see as the bad aspect? Because I could come up with some things, but I'm curious, what burdens you in that space? I will say that some professional artists that are around me, some of my friends, that they have been in a very clear line of artistic work for, let's say, 15, 20 years, some of them more. I believe they have a better grasp of how the markets work. So they know how to deliver better. And that's good both for their collectors, their finance, and also their day-to-day practice as an artist. Like uh, sometimes I, I have learned a lot, in the, mostly in the past, I will say four years, because at the beginning, I will say 2016 to 2019, we were just playing around, like doing memes and pepes. And, and I was doing also some Bitcoin art and I started doing my banknotes in those years. But it was way more of a playful thing and, and just exploratory and random playful work. But then in 2019 and 20, more artists, like more professional artists start coming to the ecosystem. And I start looking around and seeing how they work. And I started realizing that, for instance, there are so many aspects that had nothing to do with the art itself, but how do you navigate in the art world? How do you establish a relationship with collectors? Or how you, instead of just doing random stuff, trying to make collections and and styles and, and, and try to be very clear with the style so people can recognize your artwork. All of those elements, like I, I never went to art school. So it's just being like a like a, a, a realization through getting along with other more professional, more artists with a with a longer trajectory in this. So sometimes I I'm a little bit behind trying to catch up with these things, that, that I will say that's the negative. In the creative side, it's positive because I also realize that some of these artists are kind of in a box, just trying to, to keep hitting the same nail over and over. And I think that kills a little bit your, your, the, the limits of your creativeness. The elephant in the room, I guess, 
is the whole NFT, these alternate chains. There is a general consensus, and you can disagree with me, that artists are being exploited by the recent phenomenon that NFTs have held in popular culture. Do you feel exploited by participating? You mean in the traditional world or here in the NFT? Well, let's just say among, let's say, Bitcoiners who see Bitcoin as base money and nothing else. Their central bank is the enemy, central banks in general. And now, whether it's ordinals or NFTs and all this other stuff distracts and bloats the chain, you would argue there's artistic license and you're exploring. Do you have to fight your way to justify what you're doing there? Or is it just pure exploration and artistic creativity and, and curiosity? Uh, okay, so regarding uh, being exploited, I have never felt that way. I think that is for me, talking about being exploited is like a very strong word. Like no one's forcing you to be an artist, right? I understand there are a lot of opinions here and I'm in the camp of people that I think like society doesn't owe me anything. So, so in that sense, I don't feel exploited. I understand that the art markets and the gatekeepers sometimes get too powerful and it, they are definitely trying to exploit the artists constantly. But at the same time, like the artists have like the personal responsibility of just moving along. Like, I don't know. But yeah, galleries like is very clear to me that there's a lot of people just trying to get a cut of what you're doing. But I don't feel exploited because it's just like, I just say no, right? Like if I'm invited to a project and they say, okay, you need to make the artwork and send it to me and blah, 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 blah. I have learned to say, I'm sorry, that's too risky. Like I, I cannot invest this amount of hours for a, a project that I, I have no guarantee that is going to succeed. So either you put some money up front or whatever, right? But that's, I believe that's my responsibility. Cool. Now talking about the NFTs and the ordinals, I believe in the premise that ordinals are not a threat to the Bitcoin network. Now, I might be wrong. If ordinals are a threat to the network, that's a different conversation because, yeah, I mean, then that definitely could be perceived as an attack, right? But I just don't understand if the main road of Bitcoin and the most prominent developers have been talking for years that the network should be constrained to two megabyte or four megabyte blocks nowadays and everything else should go to a second layer. And then suddenly that reality comes from more adoption, whatever it is, because these are regular transactions. Like we are not disrupting the protocol. They are valid transactions. We suddenly see more adoption and this reality that they have been selling just comes faster than we expected. I don't understand how this can be perceived as an attack. I might be wrong. Maybe if ordinals turn out to be a real threat to Bitcoin, then this is definitely a different conversation. But in my perspective, the people that are saying that ordinals are an attack is because they don't like them. And this is like an emotional response. Like there's a famous talk from Giacomo Suko a few months ago where he calls ordinals stupid or doesn't make sense. And he just goes through all the history of Bitcoin and crypto art. And every five minutes he goes, this doesn't make sense. This is stupid. And then he just keeps with it. So 
in my perspective, my reading of his arguments, he never made the link between his premises and the conclusion that this is stupid or it doesn't make sense. It just keeps repeating that this doesn't make sense. It's like, like the same thing with people that criticize Bitcoin and is not using it. They are just saying, oh, this is stupid, this is a scam, but they don't really understand it or they are just repeating the same thing. So I think the, the same is happening with ordinals. I believe that ordinals are kind of like graffiti. So it's like a disruptive, creative expression of society. It's disruptive. It has its, its problems, like because it's meant to, to disrupt, to be loud and to be annoying, maybe. But it's undeniable that this is like an expression of creative people trying to do stuff. And also there are scammers, like everything, like in every field. But I believe that, first of all, digital collectibles are a real thing, something that has a huge market that everyone is going to eventually understand that is like the gaming industry. It doesn't need to make rational sense like you don't need to make a, a, a thesis to explain why humans like games like to play it's just like human nature he's got no further explanation so the gaming industry is going to keep on growing and keep being one of the most uh, the biggest industries in the world and the same is with collectibles i think it's just it doesn't have a, a further explanation People like to make art, people like to do creative stuff, and people like to collect. And that combination creates markets. And now we have digital collectibles. So most NFTs are scams. Most Ethereum NFTs are just like, I will say, not ideal because like the link of the image and the image itself is just a URL to a JPEG and so on. We all know those problems, but then there are also collectibles like Ordinals that solve most of those problems and are very powerful. So I think there, there's room for everything. And I see this as a, as a human nature, human expression of being creative. It's unstoppable and is not bad, in my opinion. I respect your opinion on the digital collectible, but that it might be an aberration of a culture adrift without hard money itself that it's no different than people buying and selling sneakers because of their supposed rarity. Well, I agree that there's a component of that, definitely, and a speculation component that uh, people are trying to, to protect their wealth in these imperfect collectibles. But I would argue that that's just part of it. Uh, it's not the whole story. There's also the pursuit of fun and the pursuit of owning something that I appreciate as uh, from the aesthetics point of view. And there's also the patronage aspect. Like that's very clear from the, the, the people that are, that are doing NFTs and sell them for pennies. So when buying a collectible doesn't represent like a big burden on your wallet, you definitely start buying stuff from people that either you like what they are doing because they are like you like the aesthetics or the message of their art or also because you think they are nice people and you want to help them out and sometimes i buy art that is not like my best choice that wouldn't be my best choice if i if i just see it on a random market but then i really like the artist and that's my way of establishing a relationship. So all those things are playing out here. 
It's not just one aspect. And you understand this once you be part of a community that is doing all these things. You realize that you're all the all the reasons why you're being part of this community. It is funny that there is the most vehement people I've heard talking about this stuff, like the NFTs, the ordinals, with a kind of disdain, tend to be those who aren't making any art. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, uh, is I always go back to making a parallel with the critics of Bitcoin. It's just like anyone that is using Bitcoin understands the value proposition. You may have critics, you may have like constructive criticism of the network, of the community, whatever. But at least you understand what are the core fundamentals and the value proposition. And the same is with NFTs and digital collectibles. Most of the criticism that is coming from the outside, they are missing some of the aspects of being part of the community. So one of the things that I always uh, say is that if you're not a creator, a collector, or a developer in the NFT ecosystem, honestly, like, it's not, I'm not trying to be rude, but your opinion doesn't really matter. Like, we don't care. Like, you are not getting it. You need to be at least one of these three players in the ecosystem in order to understand what's going on. Yeah, fascinating. Perfect. That's definitely a line in the sand. And I guess I'm none of those things. <laughs> so, And I've talked to enough artists, though, who are dabbling or make reasonable arguments. And I, I think we should also just take a long view to not rush to judgment, which tends to be a Bitcoiner way, <laughs> at least on Twitter. <laughs> right? Everybody's instantly an expert in everything. That, that's the other thing. Like, I, I, I think Twitter is just like a small sample of the Bitcoin community. When you meet people in real life, 90% of the time, they are not so hard in their opinions. They tend to be kinder. So the same people, like I was giving the example of Giacomo, but the same with, let, let's say, other big critics in the art community. I would maybe point out that Fractal, Fractal Encrypt, a friend of mine. I really admire his work and his art. And on Twitter, he's very critical with NFTs and, and Bitcoin and everything is a shitcoin. And, but then in the private groups, his tone is a little bit less. And then in real life, he's just like someone like you and I having a regular conversation, a respectful conversation. And we kind of agree in most things. So Twitter is like a little bit, in this regard, is like a little bit not the best. Sometimes it's not the best sample, right? No, that's fair. And, you know, I, I've met Fractal. And one of the things I'm cautious about because I want to interview him is who I interview because I don't want to wreck my chances of talking to him. Yeah, exactly. You're not helping me, man. You're not helping me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the same. Like, I just had this exact conversation with some Bitcoiners in Lugano. And I presented myself as a Bitcoin artist. We were having lunch and someone said, hey, what do you do? And I said, I'm a Bitcoin artist. And then some guy said, why do you say you're a Bitcoin artist? Like, why do you put this prefix? Like, just say you're an artist. Like, you do other stuff too. And yeah, like, my, my, I was trying to explain this exact same thing that you're saying. Like, look, guys, I'm, I know that I'm around maximalist here. And I'm not lying. Like, I'm a Bitcoin artist. Like, I, I'm not... I'm not being unfaithful to, to, to who I am. I'm just first trying to meet, meet as many people as possible because I know that if I say I do NFTs, I'm going to lose one or two of you immediately. 
and I'm not in a in a adversarial mood right now. So I'm not like in right now. My ego is not as important. I want to have a conversation with you guys. I don't want to lose the things that I might get from this conversation. So yeah, I'm a Bitcoin artist. It's true. I'm a Bitcoin artist. So it's the same. I I think right. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes I don't want to be ostracized by some maxis. But then some other times, like I I feel like fuck it. Like what? Like I think they're wrong. Like. If they are in that position that they don't want to talk to someone because you do this and that, like, fuck them. Like, I don't work for them, right? So, and Bitcoin don't care about their feelings too, so. Yeah, and Bitcoin is for enemies and Bitcoin doesn't care. You're both those exactly, things are, exactly. are fodder and fertile ground for artists who, for the last couple of centuries, have reveled in a place that no one else is willing to go. Yeah. The, the avant-garde is, by definition out there at the edge of uncharted, potentially dangerous or problematic territory mm -hmm. that most audiences don't understand and reject. Sure. It's an amazing... That, that's why graffiti and memes are so important. Like these are disruptive ways of putting out your message. Even if, if society don't like it, it's like, I don't care. Like I know a lot of graffiti artists, like I, I really enjoy their ethos and Some of them is just like an instinctive thing. They are like no academics. They don't know about history of art. They don't know about political philosophy. They just have this urge of putting their message out. And they are challenging themselves every day to put it in the most spectacular possible way and in places that no one else dare to go. And that's that's the spirit that I I really value. You know, it's not just like putting a message out is the way you do it also. Yeah, it's fun to peruse your Twitter feed and see just if it's just a sticker on a sign or something. You're leaving your mark in that spirit of a graffiti artist. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a very humble way, I would say, because like compared to the to the real street artists, that's nothing. But I that's my way of making a homage to street art because I believe it's one of the greatest forms of art nowadays and, and the, the, one of the greatest... Call, like urges of humans to to just put a message out. And for me, that's like a key part of being an artist, like being disrespectful to the status quo and, and pursue your, your ideas and, and what talks to you, what, what is true to you. Well, that runs counter to the other Bitcoin idea that we have to really re-embrace beauty again, however that's defined, where graffiti is high time preference. <laughs> and I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. I'm yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. But the entire century of contemporary art is dismissed, whereas I was deeply inspired by many artists who existed and created throughout the century. So it never sits comfortably with me. But aesthetics do matter. And I wondered where they fit for you and your work. Well, the aesthetics are tricky, right? Because like, who is to say what is aesthetic? I will say that in Bitcoin art, you can tell that the Bitcoin community is highly represented by conservatives, which I have nothing against conservatives, right? But definitely this, the aesthetics are more of a conservative aesthetics. 
And that's one of the very positive things that you get from exploring other communities. So a lot of Bitcoiners will never dare to go to that Tesos community, right? Uh, or, or the, the, of course, Ethereum, no? It's already like the mother of all shitcoins. But being part of those communities, you learn a lot. Right? You learn of what's going on. And, and I don't see a lot of glitch art in the Bitcoin community. I don't see a lot of new avant-garde ways of exploring digital art, let's say. And those emerging aesthetics are coming from marginal communities. And I think that you need also to be like, it's one thing to recognize traditional values and traditional aesthetics, but it's another thing to dismiss new stuff that is coming. And I understand that it's complicated. Like you cannot just embrace all, all the time the new thing, right? Like most things are going to be bullshit. It's a challenge and it's a virtue, in my opinion, to keep an open mind and keep like an open ears to listen what's happening in society. So I see mainstream conservatives like Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro, like these main uh, figures of, of conservative values, just shit talking about graffiti. And it's like, well, man, I mean, you might have very good ideas about this and that, but you're definitely missing something about what's going on nowadays if you just shit talk about graffiti. You don't really understand art or you don't really understand what motivates artists to do disruptive stuff. If you look at the history of art, it's always been like this. Like people hated modern art at the beginning. People hated jazz, right? Like at the beginning. And now it's status quo. So uh, I believe the thing is happening like that. The, for instance, the, the fonts of the graffiti artists is something for me very interesting. They have created a new aesthetics of fonts, of letters, and the way they put all the, the ways in which you make a traditional banner into something way more artistic. And that's a new aesthetic that emerged from street artists, right? Or the culture of stickers in the past few years, it just gets so much better. Like four years ago, stickers were like, yeah, maybe like the corporate world had stickers and very boring stuff. And then from one day to the next, it just like became like, like kind of a race. If you go to some crypto art events, there's like a contest to see who had the best stickers. And that just got like a whole thing of on its own. And I love that. <laughs> The post office here is a vibrant source of stickers. Uh -huh. People steal the mailing labels and then do their work on top of them. I love that. These are brave new worlds for me. I'm not a conservative per se, but I do love beauty in the traditional sense. But of course, I can find it in all kinds of things. You know, somebody like Madex, who was inspired by the layers of wheat pasted posters. You see it a lot in Mexico City, actually. I, I'm constantly stopping to make pictures of that stuff because I think it's beautiful, even though it was obviously an accident and unplanned. Uh -huh. I'm not against tradition, like at all. I definitely don't buy the idea of destroying tradition. Like, I think that's also a mistake. There's so much in conservative values, in traditional aesthetics, in beauty, in the traditional sense, beautiful figures. And there's a lot of value in that. But I mean, that's a different thing. You can appreciate that and also be aware of what's going on. 
Yeah. Now, coming back to this idea of a Bitcoin artist, you don't really have to explain it to me, but I'm sure you find yourself explaining what that is to people who are unfamiliar with it. Do you have a pat answer that you would say, this is what a Bitcoin artist is? or how you interpret it? I would describe more like seeing a Bitcoin artist for most audiences doesn't like, yeah, they, they don't know how to read. They don't understand what you're talking about because for most people, Bitcoin is like a coin, but they don't really know what. So I start by explaining what is a cypherpunk and then I, I will call myself a cypherpunk artist. So f for me, a cypherpunk is someone that is aligned with the cypherpunk values, which is individual freedom, embracing technology as a path of liberation, trying to fight the status quo, or at least trying to fight the potential dictatorship or the big brother, the will of the powerful to control and to exploit the general public. So I consider those values the cypherpunk ethos. And in that regard, what I see that most Bitcoin artists have in common, I will say all of them, is that we can all hold the same ethos. I just had like a drink and draw session with my crypto artists here in Mexico last week. Most of them are not on Ethereum. I will say all of them. And also they have like other exploring some other shit coins like Tesos, which is like, it's been like one of the main players in the crypto scene in the past two years. And we were talking about our recent experience in events and so on. And one of the things that they immediately spotted is like, you Bitcoin artists, you, you are like laser focused on your values. And that's true. Like, I will say that's the main difference with the crypto art scene. Bitcoiners, we all, in a general sense, we all hold the same values. We like privacy, we like individual rights, individual freedom, and we fight against tyranny and so on. So that's the way I explain it. We have a cypherpunk ethos and in our art, we try to represent or to talk about these values. That's a really nice summary. I'm going to start using it actually. Obviously with a Bitcoin art podcast, people look at me like, what? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. People paint gold microchip coins? People paint Bitcoin logos and I'm like, yeah. But, but not just that, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> not just that. And actually, the work you had just did with the sort of the devil in the bill, what was going on there? You, it's a printed singular piece, but you had some sort of augmented reality with the iPad. Yes, I, I tried to, well, the physical banknote, it's a print with also handmade uh, painting on top. So I just made the general design digital and then I print part of it and then I just finish the rest of the work with acrylics and, and markers and, and stuff like that to make it unique and also to make it more of a real thing. I, I don't like it to be just a print. I, I will make eventually prints out of that, but then that's different, right? I've been doing different versions of banknotes, of Bitcoin banknotes since 2017. I think it was the first one. 2018, I took the first Bitcoin banknote to Art Basel in Miami. So I just love the idea of banknotes. Since I was a kid, I have always admired the art on the banknotes. And then 
as I got more involved in the Bitcoin community and I studied more the history of money, I realized that this is the perfect vector for propaganda. Like the central banks, they just hire the best artists. They take elements of local culture. That's a real cultural appropriation. So they appropriate those elements from culture and they sell it to you in these vehicles of propaganda. So I said, okay, let's do the same, but now with our narrative, which is true. It's completely true. Like I know that that particular one that you're talking about is called the fiat standard is very dark, but it's true. Like it's like number one sponsors of war, infinite printing money. It's like kind of a dead cult in a way. Like most of these institutions sometimes are either ideologically driven or capitalizing a dead cult ideology of trying to pre prevent humanity from growing. We know all this agenda, all these dismissing messages, aliens and reptiles. So I try to depict all that, but I never want to give up in the hope and the ideas that we hold. We believe that technology, in this case, Bitcoin as, as a particular technology, but technologies in general, are a tool for liberation. Even though I, I, may, I put a lot of effort in this banknote that is depicting like the wars of society nowadays, the death cult, the war, destruction, fire, chaos. At the same time, I also bring an element of disruptive hope. And then there's the Bitcoin banknote that I represent with augmented reality. And it's just like an explosion of a Bitcoin blowing up the legacy system, which I think, I don't know what's your take on this, but I think it's like pretty obvious. Like I just make like a traditional banknote and then with technology, with augmented reality, there's a Bitcoin disruptive explosion that breaks the, the, the traditional system. I thought it was really cool, and I'm, I'm a little curious just technically how you were doing that. And if someone buys the work, then do they get the augmented reality app that lets them explore the work that way too? Sure. Uh, actually, I am using different apps, but all of my work, you can see the augmented reality with commercially available apps. The, the most popular one is Artivive. It's the one that I've, I've been using lately. Even any of my stickers or any of my banknotes, if you have Artivive in your phone or you can download it in one minute, you can see the artwork like that. And on demand, if a collector wants like a high definition video, I can definitely provide it on demand. Like it's just that never happened to me that a collector contacts me. Like, can I have like the the best high definition version of the of the file? Uh, uh, it had never happened yet, but but definitely. I am all for sharing files and sharing the, the, the content of, of, of my work. So, so going back to your question, yes, any collector can have exactly the same experience with a tablet or with its phone. And even if they want to take it to the next level and high, have it in a high definition, big screen, I can also provide it. It kind of changes your experience of seeing this singular, rare, unique piece of art that the Bitcoiners would prize. And now it has this whole new dimension that you experience through this augmented reality. I know I sound like an old man, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's got a cinematic quality where you're having a different experience on that other dimension. 
Yeah, and it, it's simple. It's, it's pretty simple. Like the, the technology of augmented reality is being here for already like a lot of time. We see it all the time with the Instagram filters, like girls use it all the time. That's augmented reality. It's just that I have realized that in the way that I'm doing it, it just looks different, right? Like people get surprised, but it's definitely very simple. I mean, you, you have to, to have like a clear target and then the, the part that is augmented is a GIF file or an MP4 or whatever. And then with your wrap, you just put them together. It's, it's not complicated. But I mean, here's where the art plays out, right? Like you have to do it in a way that matches in a nice way so it looks better. Yeah, where that's the aesthetics and the caring, really. Of course. <laughs> You're not just trying to get a date with your perfectly smooth skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's not just that. <laughs> cool. Because you're quite agnostic, but you're a cypherpunk artist, you're a Bitcoin artist. I think that's that's what you would put at the top of your um, hierarchy. Where do you see us going as a collective and even you as an individual? Where, where do you want to take us? Okay, so I'm agnostic in the sense that I don't... I don't see, I don't believe in the purity test. I don't see Sinful to be playing with other networks, but I'm a Bitcoiner. Like I, I don't think any other network has the, the qualities or the potential to change society as Bitcoin does. So I'm definitely, I, I used to call myself a maximalist until the more extreme maximalists started like, being so toxic online. And now I realize, like, I remember back in 2020, I think, it was the first time that I was in an Ethereum event in Denver, which is a great event, by the way. And some guys, they were like, oh, you look, you sound like a toxic maximalist. And that was like the first time that I felt a little bit ostracized for, from a community saying, like, if you call yourself a maximalist, then for us, you're kind of this asshole that just goes around shitting on everyone else. And I, I didn't like that, you know, because I was invited there. I wanted to be part of the community. I wanted to have a nice time. So I start moderating my, myself as presenting as a maximalist because I realized the new connotation that this had. But I've, I have always considered myself a maximalist. I don't think that having an Ethereum wallet or using Tether doesn't make you a maximalist. It's just like there are other tools. And if you are not understanding those tools, it's kind of like, for me, it doesn't make sense. So just like wanted to clarify that. And then going back to your question, where are we going or where, where, where I... Where do you I, want us to go? Where, where, is, your, where is your mission taking us. And, and then if that overlaps with the larger Bitcoin artist ecosystem, that's great. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely in line with, uh, with the Bitcoin ethos and the cypherpunk ethos, because I feel that in the last few years, mainly from 2016 and 17 to nowadays, I've been very active in trying to make people understand the libertarian ideas. Because I think, like, for instance, in the U.S., talking about being libertarian is immediately associated to uh, the far right or whatever. I have read a, a lot, well, I mean, a fair amount of literature on, on libertarian ideas that they come from, from Europe and from, from the French, Proudhon and these, these guys, the anarchists. 
Uh, being a libertarian is not a right-wing thing. It's just a set of, it's a moral framework. And I believe it is, it's a very important moral framework. I don't believe that it has all the answers, but it's very surprising for me that most people have had zero exposure to libertarian ideas. And talking about Bitcoin, talking about the cypherpunks and so on, that's a very good path for regular people to understand the libertarian ideas. And I believe that the world needs more libertarian ideas because most of the crimes and the wrongdoings on nowadays, like the politicians, the elites, and the regular uh, citizens, are because they don't have like a clear moral framework. They believe that it's okay to advocate for violence on your neighbor. And that's something that libertarians kind of have a little bit more clear. So that, I would say that's a core part of my mission. I feel like I understood something that might be a little better for society and for the future. And I validate that every time that I talk to regular people. Like people actually understand libertarian ideas very easily. It's just that they have never been exposed to those ideas. And the moment you explain, look, extortion is not a good thing. It doesn't make it good if, if you just voted for a cartel leader, a mafia uh, a boss, you know. So the moment people understand this, it's like, it's like very obvious. It's just there's no exposure to these ideas. And that's been my, one of my core objectives, I would say, in the past se several years. And more to come, I guess. Definitely, yes. Is there something you're working on now that you're excited about or that you're working in secret? Or do you work very publicly? I want to work more publicly. I just like, I find a hard time publishing. It's just like, I don't know. I have, I was never into social media. So now that I I think it's, it's a core part of being your own boss, I definitely need to level up my skills on, on communicating with my community. So I want to work more publicly. I, I usually work... I was used to work in isolation. For instance, before I, I got into the Bitcoin community, some of my last works were me being alone the whole weekend on my apartment, drawing, right? Turning off my phone and just like getting on the right mood and, and doing my stuff. And I think from a pragmatical point of view, I need to be a little bit more public and just like update my community with what I'm doing. And that, that's something I'm, I'm definitely trying to improve. My creative process could be the same, but just like keeping the rest of, even the other artists, like the other community, just like having them, giving them something to talk about. So I think that's something that I need to do more. And I'm still working on the same stuff. I'm doing more banknotes. I have partnered with this guy. Um, he goes on Twitter by Holly Mervin. It's a friend of mine. He's, we could consider him a Bitcoin artist too. And he's working a lot with, with banknotes. He's like a very talented young guy that is very focused on, on money and coins and banknotes. Uh, he's been working on designs, like very high quality, modern designs on banknotes. Uh, so we are going to make, we already make a small collab in, in that banknote that you mentioned, the, the Bitcoin standard, part of the frame, the Giloche uh, design, it was with his help. He just helped me create the pattern 
and I just incorporated that to my artwork. And I want to do more stuff with him. So we are already working in something for, for Nashville next year at the Bitcoin conference. And uh, I just want to make more banknotes, more Pepe's, and I want to also make more sculptures that this year I made a couple, but I want to play with more materials and stuff like that. So those are my plans so far. And work in my, in my social media skills a little bit. <laughs> Your feed is fun because you are very generous in sharing other artists that inspire you, obviously. And it was cool to just watch you in person with other artists from all over the world. And your Twitter feed feels like that. So I guess that it would be great if we hear more from you and see more as your work unfolds. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to share more of the footage that accumulated in the last month because I had two events in Paris. I have one in Amsterdam and one in Lugano. So I still have like a lot of photos and stuff that I want to make them like, just, just present them a little bit better, maybe edit some videos and keep publishing. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. It's been fun getting to know you here and to hear your perspectives that are not opinion. You're making things across a huge swath of new technologies and new networks. And it's very admirable and inspiring, man. No, thanks, Clay. I'm very grateful for having the opportunity to talk to you and, and very thankful for being invited. So uh, I'm looking forward for more. All right, dig it. And look, we'll, we'll raise a glass together in uh, San Miguel soon enough. Definitely. Yeah, man. There you have it. Be sure to follow Gus on Twitter, Instagram, and Noster. At Gus Griasca, G-U-S-G-R-I-L-L-A-S-C-A is where you'll find him. Thanks to my brother for the music. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to Gus Griasca for sharing his time, energy, and kind provocations with the Bitcoin Muse. Onward. <laughs>